most of those are just swords. They're all swords, actually. <laughs> yeah, they're just all practice swords. And then there's a cane and nunchucks. That's kind of my uh, weapon area. And then I've got weapons all over the office. So you look, you look around. I mean, you could see weapons everywhere. <laughs> Welcome to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm really excited to have today a special guest. It's Master Jan Lappin of Middleburg Martial Arts in Middleburg, Florida. She's the founder of the school and the master instructor. She's a fifth degree black belt and very happy to have you on. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. So you're also the author of a book that just came out. It's called Leadership, Creating Leaders One Black Belt at a Time. Yes, sir. Can we start there? What inspired you to write a book about leadership? Well, the book is really just a confirmation of all the stuff that I've done the past like 15 years teaching leadership here at the karate school. So for years, I would like look at books and look at things like whatever our theme was, I would find something to teach them that had some meat in it, you know, that so my students could get something out of it. And then finally, I started saving the stuff and reusing it. And I'm thinking, you know, why am I doing all this work over and over and over? And so I started saving it and reusing it. And I looked a lot of, at a lot of different leadership books and manuals and things like that. And um, just decided that the best thing to do would be to create my own. And it's just, you know, again, it's all the stuff that we teach, the, you know, the goal setting and the neurolinguistics programming and, and helping to build confidence and all the stuff that martial arts gives you. So it kind of makes it easier for someone instead of creating their own, um, you know, their own class plan. It's already done for you. So when you say someone, is the readership other karate instructors, teachers, parents? That's really kind of who it was meant for, that and my students. I mean, I've given each of my students a copy of it because this is what we teach over the next five, six years. That This is what they'll be getting. So I give them the book. And then um, many karate instructors have bought it. And I also give it out as, a, as just um, kind of to principals, to teachers, to people so they can see what we teach and how we teach it and what our school is all about and really how our studio is different from a lot of other studios that only teach kicking and punching. Kicking and punching is wonderful. If your life's ever in danger, boy, you're glad you have it. You're glad you have that self-defense. It's number, you know, you've got to have it. That's what we do. But even, even a lot of the private schools don't teach as far as the goal setting and the success programming and the positive self-talk and just all that stuff that really puts someone on a whole different level to be successful. The reason we have such major success with our students is because they're learning a lot of these skills at a very young age and they're applying these skills. There are two other aspects that I think relate to the school concept. One is the idea of a graduation. And we talk about that in terms of black belt. And it takes four years, sometimes more, to achieve that. But it isn't, it, your education is always ongoing. Right. But that achievement of earning a black belt is also what sets, I think, Middleburg apart from other schools that, that teach the fighting skills, but don't have that, that goal of earning a black belt, essentially graduating. Mm -hmm. What was your history in the martial arts? How did you get started? So I started um, at back many years ago in the 70s at University of Florida when I was going to college there. And I started in judo. 
studied judo and loved it and had friends there. And then when I graduated, there was no place to study anymore. You had to be a student to go there and I had moved away. So it was really hard for me to find a judo school or club. There's not, there's no, there weren't very many around at the places that I lived. So I, I stopped it for a while. I got to a, a EQ, which is um, right below a black belt in judo. So I didn't get my black belt. Then I, years later, I went back and got it. And then uh, in the eighties, late eighties, um, my husband and my kids took uh, Tang Sudo, which is very similar to Taekwondo, which is, I believe, what you guys teach. So they took, a, they started taking classes in California, and really liked it. And about a year later, I started and ended up loving it. And I've been, I've been doing Tang Sudo ever since. So about thirty years now, a little more than thirty years, I've been doing Tang Sudo. And now I have a little judo uh, auxiliary program at my school. The main thing we teach is Tang Sudo, but I have a judo class once a week, and it's fun. I still love the grappling and the rolling and all that. So, so those arts complement each other? I think so. So like this summer, we're doing something really cool. And we do it every summer, but I really like it. We have a passport that we give all of our students. So we give them a passport, they put their picture on it, and then they get to go to a different country for all the nine weeks of summer. So this, this week, we're in Brazil. So when we're in Brazil, we're going to be teaching um, uh, jiu-jitsu. And then they get their passport stamped. And then next week, I don't know where we are, maybe India. And we'll do yoga and we'll speak in, in Hindi. And we'll learn a little bit about the country. We learn geographically where it is, the capital. And so the students are learning a lot. And then they get to bring in artifacts as well. And so if they bring in artifacts or food from the country, they get extra stripes on their bell. And it's just a really cool thing to help them um, kind of like they're, we, we call it traveling around the world, but it's really educational. It's fun. And they learn a bunch of different martial arts too. So nine different countries, nine different martial arts. That, that just shouts education. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, by the time all of our students are black belts, they can all publicly speak and they've had to publicly speak before. But we start them off with real little things. It's kind of like show and tell at school. Like when they come in and they bring artifacts or facts about Brazil or Israel or whatever country we're in, they if they get up and talk about those facts, they share some of the facts with the class. And we usually that's why the class is warming up. They get they get a um, they get extra points. They get stripes on their belt for doing that. So it encourages them very slowly to start speaking up in public and being more confident and researching things on their own and sharing and and just you know gives them that confidence and that independence that will help them down the road later in their life do you find that with your adult students too, the parents who are sign up for classes that they respond to that yes my parents respond really well to do to bringing the artifacts in or making the food or uh, sharing the things and you know what's funny because i find my parents a lot of times are just as nervous as the kids now, the black belt parents much more confident. But so, for instance, when when we do our um, couple months ago, we did communication skills all month. So we had one seminar. Um, I have these seminars once a month. It's called Guidance on Leadership Development. Nothing to do with martial arts. You come in dressed in street clothes and you learn different things. So the one on communication was publicly speaking. So they all had to do like a one minute elevator speech. And then we gave prizes, gift cards for the ones that we thought was the best. And it was so cool because we had, I had two six-year-olds doing it. And then I had, of course, all different ages. And then I had one lady, I think she was 57. And she's got a PhD and a couple different master's degrees. And she was just as nervous as the six-year-olds. So it's really kind of funny to see everybody kind of learn and grow together. 
a um, couple years ago when we did it, I had this one guy and he was in his 50s as well. He was a senior chief. So pretty high up. We have a lot of military people here, pretty high up in the military. And he was nervous doing his speech. So it's kind of funny that we all are kind of on the same level, uh, same playing field when we're doing stuff like that. And it makes it fun. And it's kind of, I think, really cool for families to to bond with their children when they're doing the same thing and they're you know, like when they test together, when they're learning new material together, or even when they're publicly speaking together, it's, it's, they share the same experience instead of I'm the adult, you're the child. It's a very different experience most of the time, but with martial arts, it can be, it can be a, I don't want to say uh, equalizing, but you feel like you're on the same, same level with them. I know my kids started before I did and my husband did, and they taught me a lot. My daughter still, even to this day, my daughters remember stuff that I don't remember. We'll go, we'll learn a form, Two days later, it's gone from my memory. They still have it. So it's kind of nice. That is an amazing dynamic, how your kids turn into your teachers. I, I think yeah. that happens quite a bit, right? The, the kids might start and the parents are on the sidelines. And you get to a point where you go, why am I not out there and mm -hmm. doing this? And by that point, your kid's a green belt or something. Right. <laughs> and that happens a lot. A lot of... Um, we don't have that many adults. Maybe 20% of our students are adults and we have like 350 students. So we don't have that many, but most of the ones we have are the ones that they're the parents of the kids that the kids started first and then they got to know us and they felt comfortable because they say the number one reason most parents don't get out there is they're embarrassed, they're nervous, they think they're too heavy, they think I have a bad back, I have this, I can't do it. I, it's all about I'm gonna look like a fool when I'm out there. And it's so the opposite because once they're out there and they start feeling better about themselves, they start looking better, they start getting in shape. They, you know, they just, you, you see this transformation, a really positive transformation, I think. Some of your history, I just wanted to mention this because I could see in the corner, you have an umbrella rack and some of the umbrellas have samurai handles or are those actual samurai swords in the, in the Oh, you're looking back there? Yeah. Oh, those are, um, those are, most of those are just swords. They're all swords, actually. <laughs> yeah, they're just all practice swords. And then there's a cane and nunchucks. That's kind of my uh, weapon area. And then I've got weapons all over the office. So if you look, <laughs> you look around, I mean, you could see weapons everywhere. <laughs> I love it. It's always interesting that, you know, you're speaking with someone who's very involved in the martial arts when there are weapons um, <laughs> surrounding your workspace. Yeah, this is cool. Even my um, little, my envelope opener, of course, is a sword. <laughs> so you, you teach weapon skills. Yes, sir. Forms. Can you tell us something about what, what's your history with working with weapons in the martial arts? Well, in Tang Sudo, we start, um, maybe after a year or two, you start with the staff. So I started learning the staff. And then we had certain forms and things we had to learn as we tested up. And then, uh, then I started learning sword. Sword, you don't learn until black belt level, typically. And so then we're tested on sword forms. And then the higher you go, there's higher. Now it's cane. Like my next test for sixth degree, I'll have to do a cane form. And it's a long cane form. Um, now we have short, short cane forms that we teach here. But there's a long cane form. There's some long sword forms that are, you know, with rolling. And they involve a lot of stuff that you really have to really practice. I mean, my cane form I've been working on for probably six years now. <laughs> it's been a while. Tell us, what's the origin? Of, I've never heard of that, I have to say. A cane form? Can you tell us something about that? Well, um, 
I don't really know too much about like the history of it, except for I would assume it's like any other weapon that we do that originally it was used for something else, like the farming tools of the nunchucks, the size, all the farm, you know, they were used for farming, even the staffs, they were carrying, you know, they, people used to carry water on them. And then eventually they needed them for weapons and they just turned them into weapons. And I think cane is one of the few weapons that you can take on. A, I don't, it's not really a weapon, but I mean, you could use it as a weapon because it's very effective and you could take it on an airplane these days and not, not be questioned. Um, but like I said, it is very effective, whether you hit, whether you clutch, whether you use it as a lever, get someone's neck, trip them. There's so many things you can do with a cane that it's pretty amazing. But whenever we teach a weapon, we try to teach the self-defense part of it, like how you would use this in a basic self-defense situation, some um, one steps or else sushiks, like someone's coming in with a punch or kick and how you can block. Um, so we have a series of those that we do with weapons. For kids who are working on these kind of motor skills and responses, what do you see or, or, or take pride in people learning about that physical, that weapon aspect of the martial arts? Well, especially when they work with a partner, it's pretty cool because they're learning timing, they're learning how long, how long their arms are, how long their legs are. And then the poor teenagers, when they grow, they end up punching people because they just grew an inch or two, you know. So they're really learning a lot of martial arts skills and they're learning a lot about their body uh, as far as how long their legs are, what their reach is and all that, what their strength is, building their confidence, all those kinds of things. And I think the weapons just help with a lot of that. I think the main thing the weapons do is they give them confidence that, you know, if I was alone in a room, I could pick up this or I could pick up this or I could pick up whatever and use it to protect myself. And I think, you know, knowing how to scrimmage sticks, for instance, I mean, pretty much anywhere you go, unless you're in New York City, there's sticks somewhere. And there's so there's a way that people can protect themselves if they learn how to hit with them and what to do and how to, you know, use them as blocks and stuff like that. So I just think it really builds confidence. Also, of course, it's building your, you know, gross motor skills and just helping them to be able to, to be more coordinated, uh, more graceful, all those things. And all those things together, as you know, help to build confidence and self-esteem and the way they see themselves is so important. If we can talk for a minute about the competition scene that's changed a lot over the last year, but it, as conditions in the world improve, it's coming back. What's your experience with competition? So I'm, I'm pro tournaments. I think they're really fun if they're held properly and, and if people have the right perspective going in. I think if you only go in for the perspective of win, 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 and it ruins your day afterwards, that's not, that's not the, right, the right mind frame to take. But we've had really good success with tournaments. We have local tournaments that we run here that my studio runs. Um, they're open tournaments, so it's kind of cool. You can do any form. You can do anything you want. People get real creative with it. And I love it because what happens is the students' techniques really grow and improve because they practice. And when they're doing something that's really fun for them, the enjoyment of it makes them practice more and they just get better. So I like that part about it. Um, the association that we're in has big world tournaments, like a couple thousand competitors, and they have um, one every other year. They didn't have one during COVID, but they have one every other year. And it's really cool because we get to go to those tournaments. Now, you have to only use prescribed forms and prescribed things during those tournaments and follow their rules. But it's really cool because you get people from all over the world 
but they get in a ring and they all know the Korean and they all know how to spar and what to do and what the points are and and they know the system. And so you develop a lot of, uh, there's a lot of camaraderie in my association where my students will be friends with people from all over the world. And it's kind of cool. I love that part about it. I think it's really neat. Do you have strong ties to the tradition? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, I've been with the World Tongue Association since I think it was 1989. And I do have real strong ties. My um, main instructor, Master Tabaka, we first started training with him in 1989 in California. And he's a very traditional martial artist, very traditional, very, very good. He was on the like the kickboxing uh, circuit for a while. So he taught us a lot of just basic non-traditional stuff as well as the traditional. But he was very traditional, very strict, very, very strict. Didn't never had a lot of students. I don't think he ever had more than 60 or 70 because a lot of them were he scared him away. (laughs) Really, he was so strict and so traditional that if you didn't meet his standards and if you didn't train the way he wanted you to train, there was really not not a place for you. We're, I want to say friends, but he's still my master. He'll always be my master instructor. And I have the utmost respect for him. And I think because of him, my students do really well because I have kept a lot of his high standards. They need to be at the level that they can feel very proud that they have achieved that. And if we start lowering our standards, then they're not going to feel that same empowerment. Like, what does a black belt mean if everyone can get it by just doing the minimal? What made you respond to that style, that strict style? Um, Good question, because there were times it was tough. I mean, I remember nights going home and he would do takedowns like he would just one day he decided to do like plyometrics or takedowns or whatever. I remember one night we went home. It's like after 150 takedowns, you know, you're bruised everywhere. You're just totally bruised. And I don't know what it was. I, I liked the stress release of it. I was working as a regional executive and I was traveling a lot and there was a lot of stress with my job. And so I would go to karate and it would be totally different. I dealt with with the strictness and, and the stuff, because it empowered me. It made me better. It made me stronger. Sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, I believe, the harder something is to get, the more it means to you. It's really interesting how you talk about the stress release that comes with practicing martial arts when just a few minutes ago, we were talking about how stressful it can be. So there is that incredible oh, yeah, paradox. Yeah, yeah. It's I think really exemplified for me when people go through their first black belt test. I've had doctors tell me I've never been more stressed out in my life. And then on the other end of it, there's that sense of accomplishment that is so rewarding. Mm-hmm. What what makes a master instructor for you? What does it mean or what do you have to have? I think it's I think first it's probably someone who cares, someone who loves the art and someone who cares and wants to share the art. And then, of course, you have to have the discipline and you have to be the role model and you have to live the life. To me, being a master meaning means living the life. If I expect my students to not smoke cigarettes, then I'm not going to be smoking cigarettes. If I expect them to be able to do 50 push-ups, then I better be able to do 50 push-ups with them. It's being the role model. It's setting the example, leading by example. So I'm not saying, you know, you have to be a superhuman person. Um, but I'm saying you should lead by example. My degree is in psychology. 
And we get a lot of kids here that have superpowers. And probably 30% of our kids are like ADHD. We get Asperger's, you know, all on the spectrum. Um, so we do have a lot of, of special needs, superpower kids, as well as superpower adults. I have adults with um, PTSD and, you know, we have a lot of military people around here. And, you know, what they've gone through and what they've seen is, is pretty hard. I have another student with that, with that as well, um, just from trauma. So martial arts can help. I think anybody in any situation. Do you, I know you take a lot of pride in student successes and you've been teaching a long time and you must have seen a lot of students grow into adulthood. Do any stories come to mind about students that you know who have graduated through your school? Yes, there are many, many of them that I'm super proud of. As a matter of fact, what we did last summer when COVID was going on, we were doing like uh, videos and we were going through books, like what the books that you, that, that we, re we require our black belts to read certain books. So we were going through that. And then we decided, let's do something different. Let's bring some of our past students in. And we brought a bunch of our past students in. And it was amazing the success that these guys had. And I started crying one time when Leah got on this one girl. She was one of my black belts. She got to third degree. She got full ride to Annapolis Naval Academy. She got out. She's in the military now. She's only like 27 years old. She's still very young, but she's like doing amazing. Obviously, she's an officer. She's leading other people. And she sat there and she said it was a lot of it was because of what she learned here. Several of the people kind of alluded to that, like the, the skills that they learned in martial arts helped them in whether it was the military or I have another lady that I actually just saw at the wedding the other day, a girl that used to be a student and she's now runs a museum and said a lot of the skills that, that she learned helped her with that. So we have a lot of those success stories and those are really what make it all worthwhile. Thank you for listening to the Ripple Effect Martial Arts Podcast. Find episodes and more at rippleeffectmartialarts.com.